have already transformed traditional unsweetened breakfast yogurt into a dessert-like snack. It now had twice as much sugar per serving as Lucky Charms, the company's cloyingly sweet marshmallow-filled cereal. And yet, because of yogurt's well-tended image as a wholesome, life-giving snack, sales of YoPlay were soaring, with annual revenue topping $500 million. Emboldened by the success, General Mills' development wing pushed even harder, inventing a yogurt that came in a squeezable tube, perfect for kids, eliminating the need for a spoon. They called it Gogurt and rolled it out nationally in the weeks before the CEO meeting. By year's end, it would hit $100 million in sales. So while the atmosphere at the meeting was cordial, the CEOs were hardly friends. Their stature was defined by their skill in fighting each other for what they called stomach share, or the amount of digestive space that any one company's brand can grab from the competition. If they eyed one another suspiciously that evening, it was for good reason. By 2001, Pillsbury's chief would be gone, and the 127-year-old company, with its cookies, biscuits, and toaster strudel, would be acquired by General Mills. Two of the men at the meeting rose above the fray. They were here to represent the industry titans, Cargill and Tate and Lyle, whose role it was to supply the CEOs with the ingredients they relied on to win. These were no run-of-the-mill ingredients either. These were the three pillars of processed food, the creators of Crave, and each of the CEOs needed them in huge quantities to turn their products into hits. These were also the ingredients that, more than any other, were directly responsible for the obesity epidemic. Together, the two suppliers had the salt, which was processed in dozens of ways to maximize the jolt that taste buds would feel with the very first bite. They had the fats, which delivered the biggest loads of calories and worked more subtly in inducing people to overeat. And they had the sugar, whose raw power in exciting the brain made it perhaps the most formidable ingredient of all, dictating the formulations of products from one side of the grocery store to the other. James Benke was all too familiar with the power of salt, sugar, and fat, having spent 26 years at Pillsbury under six chief executive officers. A chemist by training with a doctoral degree in food science, He became the company's chief technical officer in 1979 and was instrumental in creating a long line of hit products, including microwavable popcorn. He deeply admired Pillsbury, its employees, and the warm image of its brand. But in recent years, he had seen the endearing, innocent image of the Pillsbury Doughboy replaced by news pictures of children too obese to play, suffering from diabetes and the earliest signs of hypertension and heart disease. He didn't blame himself for creating high-calorie foods that the public found irresistible. He and other food scientists took comfort in knowing that the grocery store icons they had invented in a more innocent era, the soda and chips and TV dinners, had been imagined as occasional fare. It was society that had changed— changed so dramatically that these snacks and convenience foods had become a daily, even hourly habit, a staple of the American diet. Binky's perspective on his life's work, though, began to shift 
when he was made a special advisor to Pillsbury's chief executive in 1999. From his new perch, Benke started to get a different view of what he called the big tenets of his industry, taste, convenience, and cost. He worried especially about the economics that drive companies to spend as little money as possible in making processed foods. Cost was always there, he told me. Companies had different names for it. Sometimes they were called PIPs, or Profit Improvement Programs, or Margin Enhancements, or Cost Reduction, whatever you want to call it. People are always looking for a less expensive way. In the months leading up to the CEO meeting, Benke was engaged in conversation with a group of food science experts who were painting an increasingly grim picture of the public's ability to cope with the industry's formulations. These discussions were sponsored by a food industry group, the International Life Sciences Institute, for which Benke...